Hello and welcome back for episode 33 of the Newbie Dentist Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Omid Azami. In this week's episode, I had the great pleasure of sitting down for a mentorship hour with Dr. Paresh Shaw out of Winnipeg, Canada. It is always a uniquely great opportunity to have the chance to converse with and learn from a more senior clinician who not only has been in the profession for a long time, but has also excelled within it. Dr. Paresh Shaw is a clinician in the truest sense of the word, and we had a great conversation about his career trajectory going from dental school to a hospital residency into private practice and eventually into practice ownership. We dive into many topics on this one, including the value of structured continuing education programs, the benefits of becoming an excellent diagnostician, and general advice for new grads. I hope you guys enjoyed this hour of mentorship with Dr. Presh Shaw as much as I did. If you've been enjoying the Newbie Dentist podcast, please be sure to rate us on iTunes and leave a review as it will help grow the community. If you have any feedback or questions or just want to reach out to me, please find me on Instagram at Newbie Dentist. Without further ado, I hope you guys enjoy this episode with Dr. Paresh Shah. Hello and welcome to the Newbie Dentist Podcast, the safe place for newbie dentists to connect, collaborate, learn, and grow. The Newbie Dentist Podcast aims to provide high-quality and high-value content for all the newbie dentists out there. With your host, Dr. Omid Azami. So I'm here with uh, Dr. Paresh Shaw out of uh, Winnipeg, Canada. Kindly agreed to sit down and share some of his advice with us today. You've had a you know a long, great career, and it's it's exciting to have people like you on Instagram being so active. You know, it's more of a younger community. So um, having someone of your experience kind of in there and and, and mingling with us and, and giving us some pointers is uh is <laughs> so I do I do want to thank you for that. So when I have people like yourself on the show who um, you know have been around the block a few times, I really want to take that opportunity and, and just you know, pick your brain as much as I can, more on the big picture kind of stuff. So what I'm hoping to do, um, obviously, first, we'll just go into your background a little bit. If you just give us a little kind of like an origin story of you know where you went to dental school and kind of what you've been up to. <laughs> and then I kind of want to just uh, get a little bit more in depth on a few things. So I'll let you kind of take that away for now, and then we'll, we'll hop back in. Okay, sure. Well, thanks for having me. I, you know, I've been, it's, it's actually a lot of fun following you and, and a number of other uh, younger uh, dentists on, on Instagram and Facebook and social media, because it's, uh, it's actually kind of rejuvenated me a little bit. You know, I, I was kind of, you know, pushing it aside for a while, but we can talk about that later, but it's just, okay, my background. So I, I've been living in, I was born in India, but we moved when I was like two years old. So I've been living in Winnipeg for a very long time. My parents yeah. moved here. And uh, so my dental school training and, and university, everything has been at the University of Manitoba right in Winnipeg. Yeah. So um, prior to dentistry, I kind of had a previous life. I was doing medical research and I actually started, I finished a master's in physiology and I was going to start a PhD. Oh, wow. And the funny thing is my wife, who's in corporate finance and an accountant, and my father, who's a physician, they sat me down. Here I am in my <laughs> mid-20s having this intervention and saying, hey, you, don't, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't do a, uh, a PhD. Why don't you go into dentistry? And I'm like, dentistry, why would I want to do that? I hate going to the dentist. Next thing you know, they're filling out my application. And yeah. you know, a year later, I'm in dental school. So I've been in a dentist for 27 years. I did a GPR in Winnipeg at the hospital and then uh, been in private practice. I've had my own practice since 1995. Um, three full-time hygienists, uh, myself, and I've had some part-time associates along the way. Yeah. It's been really a lot of fun. Um, and then I got into, I did, a, I did a bunch of continuing education. About seven, eight years out, I was getting a little bored, wasn't enjoying dentistry as much. And I got introduced to a group of people at the University of Minnesota in Buffalo that run a aesthetic continuum and I got I took those programs and then I actually mentored with them and they were at that time I'm, I'm in my 30s and they're they're in their late 40s and I'm looking I'm meeting these people and I'm going like oh my god I've made a new set of friends I've got mentors yeah. and all of a sudden there's life beyond just you know drilling teeth and so I became very good friends with them I mean they're now in their 70s and they just dabble in dentistry and enjoy life, but they're, yeah. they're still inspiring. And then I started taking uh, Carl Misch's courses and, uh, and then I 
I've done coice and I've done some spear now and uh, it's just a journey. So that's kind of been what I've been doing. It's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of fun. That's great. There's a lot of uh, things that you brought up that I'd written down that I wanted to actually specifically ask you. So we'll kind of dive into that a bit. So how I wanted to kind of uh, frame this is a bit of a career arc because I know like myself, um, I'm about two years out now, I'm about like 18 months out. A lot of the listeners of the show are like dental students or they've been out for you know, two, three years. So I'm interested right. in um, asking you how that arc has been. So like the first couple of years versus like from graduating to year three versus like three to 10, 10 plus, how has yeah. your mindset changed? How has dentistry changed for you? Um, so if you can okay. just touch on that a little bit, that'd be interesting to see what your perspective has been on it. Okay. Honestly, when I first got out, you, you almost like... Because I did a hospital program, I got a lot of confidence. I, and even though it was a lot of surgery, you just you and and some restorative, I got I got a lot of confidence, and and um, and so that helped me when I got into private practice. If yeah. you're a if you're a new grad or a young grad, and you haven't had an opportunity to do, I mean, back then they did, there really wasn't there weren't opportunities in Canada for like AEGD programs, right? Yeah. Um, but if you don't do one of those residencies or fellowships, um, you really uh, you need to have a mentor. My mentors were were at the hospital when I did that, and then I worked at a at a practice here in the city that for with a guy that really um, I learned a lot just by listening to him talk to patients. So I learned how to communicate with him. But at that time, it's just you're trying to figure out what you like, what you don't like, yeah. and I think a good chunk of dentists are like that. Some just know. But a lot of us just didn't. And so you start working. And then all of a sudden, a couple of years out, I'm like, ah, oh, man, I still want to run my own practice. I want to own it. And yeah. there happened to be a sales rep that came and said, look, I got a practice that you might want. So I'd say the first couple of years is just finding yourself, figuring out what you're good at. Um, and then as I get my practice, uh, you know, then you want to just, you want to, spend time trying to get to know the patients. You'd love to do everything. You'd love to do all of this fancy work, but I didn't know what I didn't know. Yeah. Um, so all you're doing is just doing work. And then you see some more complicated bites and occlusions and things. And you go like, geez, I have no idea. So you just kind of ignore it and you just continue <laughs> on. Right. Yeah. I can relate to and that. Then, <laughs> right. And then I slowly, I got kind of at the point where I was getting, just not enjoying it as much. It just felt like mundane. I'm just drilling and filling teeth and pulling teeth out. And that's where I, I kind of got directed into some continuing ed. And I got out of my bubble here in my city. Yeah. And all of a sudden, as soon as you get out of there, you've had the opportunity to live in Toronto and in Melbourne. And so you, you see some differences, right? For sure. Well, I got, out of, I got out of my city and all of a sudden you meet people and you realize, you know what? It's not necessarily different in that there's people from rural Minnesota and from Chicago and from LA and from, you know, Spain and Greece. And we all have some similar issues, <laughs> yeah. but we're also looking for something different. And as soon as you start gravitating to like-minded people who are wanting to just help each other get better, it's hard not to get caught up in that. Yeah, And so that's kind of the next stage after that was just finding mentors, which I didn't know that I needed them. Yeah. But all of a sudden I found mentors and I found mentors out of my city. And then afterwards I came back and I started looking for mentors also within my city. And that's where everything started to blossom. That's expensive. So when you graduated one year of uh, GPR in a hospital, how many years did you work as an associate uh, prior to opening your practice? Th- three years. Three years. Three years. And, so and when you- I, I worked part-time while I was doing my, uh, my hospital residency. And then, uh, and then I started and I worked for about three years. Okay. After. And so when you opened your practice, what was your scope of your, like your clinical like skill set? Um, were you kind of doing like everything or? Um, yeah, I was because at the hospital, I learned how to do IV sedations. I don't do it anymore, Yeah, but I did a ton of IV sedations. I did uh, for the first 20 out of my 27 years, I did like all of my impactions. I'd say 95% of them, like even the hard ones. Cause I just learned from the best in yeah. our city. And so I was able to do that and it kept me busy. And then you start learning how to do some restorative. And then all of a sudden you got to balance. Well, do you want to do everything? 
Um, so I did, I did that. I did endos. I was not very good at it. I don't do them anymore. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you, but you just did them because you, you were busy and patients would go, Oh, don't worry, doc. It'll be okay. Yeah. Um, you know, crown and bridge. I got into some implants, but I had no mentorship for that earlier. And when I go back and look at some of my cases, some of them are great. And some of them are, I can roll my eyes and go like, Oh man, it could have looked way better. Yeah. So I, I slowly, it was basically the initial one was just lots of restorative endo, crown and bridge, uh, lots of fillings and stuff. Yeah. yeah. Were you doing any ortho or anything like that when you first opened up? Uh, you know what? Not when I first opened up. And then I would say maybe, you know, 15 years out, I, or, you know, 12 to 15 years out, I started taking some weekend courses. Yeah. Dabbled in it. Um, did not enjoy it and didn't do, didn't put my heart into it. So the work that I, the, the quality that I was doing, I got the end result, but it was taking longer for the patients to reach what I felt they should. So eventually I stopped. Okay. So um, I'm curious because not so much in Canada, I would say maybe in the U S you hear these crazy stories of like dental students are like buying practices or like straight out of school, people are buying practices. What do you think in terms of what should your like uh, clinical arsenal be before you're like ready to like run a practice and, and have it be okay. um, responsible and profitable. And um, yeah. that even like right now being a couple years out, you know, I, I do some, you know, I do some like surgery, I do restorative, I do some endo. Yeah. Um, I don't do any implants yet or any ortho. Um, so even now I'm like yeah. on the edge, I'm like, am I ready to offer like a compliment of, of services to the patients or am I doing a disservice by opening a practice? Um, so yeah. tell me a little bit about what you think about that whole uh, situation. Well, we have the same thing here. There's a lot of young dentists and some of them are just buying up practices literally to be able to sell it. And yeah. I'm not convinced that all of them are in it for necessarily the right reason. Uh, in terms of, I shouldn't say the right reason, they're in it for a different reason. And, and a lot of it is, doesn't mean that they can't do competent, good work. Yeah. But their focus is the end game of trying to make a lot of money of selling, right? Uh, but let's go back to the ones that you know genuinely want to practice and do well. Um, th- there's no reason why you you can't just start a practice or get a practice at your stage and run it because I do believe that if your end goal is that you want to run your own practice, whether it's solo or with someone else, yeah, uh, it's fine. I think the bigger picture is just understanding how you're going to go about doing it. If, if you're in heavy debt and your focus is like, okay, I'm going to do the practice, I'm going to buy it, or I'm going to build a new one. And then you get so stressed out that you have to produce that you start compromising quality or not recognizing that that's where you can run into a problem. That's why I feel it's really, I think one of the best ways to do something is to actually find an existing practice you can buy and have some sort of a patient base. And then if you want to build a brand new, um, uh, practice yeah. from scratch after you've got a patient base to work with because if you just open something up in a strip mall or somewhere else like it's expensive it's yeah, i don't care time. where you are you could be in you can be in melbourne you can be in toronto you can be in winnipeg it's it's expensive yeah and uh, how do you pay for it so if you can find an existing practice even if it's an, a retiring dentist and you've got you know, four or 500 patients, you have an opportunity. At least you have one opportunity to meet each patient once and make a connection. Yeah. Um, but are, are you ready? Yeah, I, I think you can be. I, I think it's, uh, it's a matter of how you approach it. If you want to be the jack of all trades and do everything and you haven't been experienced enough to the things that work and don't work, you could get yourself into trouble. But if you find right mentors, take appropriate courses and just proceed methodically you can be successful you really i believe you can yeah and i think that's um that's something that i'm uh like toying with that idea um i think it's tough because like you said the expenses are so high so what i've been sort of thinking about and and talking to some friends of mine who went to dental school with me here in australia potentially like opening up practice as as a group Uh, so that way you you split the cost um you can still maintain uh your like associateship elsewhere as well to have some income coming in correct uh, correct. while you grow the patient base and I think like, yeah. you know, to compete with all these corporate dental chains going around, you might, that might be the future, like to kind of like the GPs have gone like in group practices 
Um, something right. to like split the overhead a little bit so you can have take that financial stress off so you can focus on the dentistry a little bit more. Totally. And if you're doing it as a group, and you know what, I really do feel that the practice of the future is, is, and it's, and when I say future, it's not like 10 or 15 years from now, it's in the yeah. next few years. I, I do believe that that is one way that, that, that we're going. I think uh, there's going to be a lot of GPs that want to do all their work. Um, I used to be one of those. I don't anymore because I realized the benefits of having some great specialists to work with. And I also, feel that they benefit from my expertise as well. And so I can do things better with what I do. I'm not perfect. I yeah. do make mistakes, but, but I, I think I collectively we work better that way. And I think your approach of, Hey, maybe having a few friends and each of you have something on the side to at least make an income, learn, get, gain some experience, but then kind of build that practice of your dreams um, and then if there's some retiring dentists that you might want to bring into your fold and say, Hey, you know what, if you're a couple of years out of practice, uh, how about, how about we buy your practice? You come work with us. You don't have to worry about anything yeah. and you can mentor us and then you can work and, and then eventually you start taking over their patient base. Um, I think that's a nice way to do it. That's a great I really idea. do. Not every, not everyone's going to want to do that, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't get all hung up. Oh my God, this this doctor has a lot of old patients or this or that. Like, you know what? Patients are patients and all demographics are going to uh, provide you um, with, with work and they all are a little different. And, um, you know, I've been ruling out, you know, trying to attract millennials and Gen Xers. And all of a sudden <laughs> I realized through my daughter and our friends and people like yourself that, yeah. you know what? If I want to practice longer. I've got to also connect with all you guys as well. Not just, <laughs> you know, people my age. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's great. Yeah. Uh, so another thing is after the, like I've seen, you know, see like, I forget the, uh, the name of the charts, like with, with knowledge, your confidence kind of comes down because you start to realize all the stuff that you don't actually know. Um, Correct. So, Cause yeah. I, I feel like, you know, for the first like three or four months of working, I was, you know, obviously you're, you're not as confident and then you start to get some more successes and you, and you, Short term, right. like okay, like that that class two looks okay. My crown stayed on for a week, and then you get confident. Yeah. And then, yeah. so I haven't I haven't been around long enough. Uh, and unfortunately, I moved. So you know, they say success by uh, like moving around is uh, by geographic. Yeah, success. by geographic yeah. success. Um, what was that like for you? Like that. So when you're in your practice, you've been there for you know five years now, and some of the stuff that you did maybe in the early days um, starts to fail potentially. How was that experience like for you? Um, it's humbling and you, and you learn how to do it. And I think it's still uh, an ongoing thing. I, I still see things because as, a, as I'm getting more experienced and, and older in my practice, uh, you know, I'm also doing more challenging work and there are times where you run into snags and I still see that sometimes. Um, I truly, truly believe that the mark of uh, a, a good clinician is someone who is humble enough to look and look into yourself first before anything else, before blaming materials, before blaming a team member. Um, it's like look inside and go, what could I have done differently? What could I have done better? And and also owning up to that. And sometimes it's just looking the patient in the eye and go, you know what? I don't know what's going on there. This should not be happening. I'm going to redo this. Yeah. And so it was tough initially. And now I just look at it as a learning process. Uh, you just want to minimize that. And, and you want to have way more successes than, than failures. Um, but I just embrace it and just go, and I'm still hard on myself, yeah, but I think as long as you have a, as long as you have a conscience and you really care, um, that those are going to be good things because they're going to be, they're going to be hallmarks of, of succeeding that I truly believe that for sure. And I think that's good. Yeah. I'm, it's something that affects me because I'll, I'll do something like, like I'll cement a crown and like the contact was light and I got, that'll, that'll stick with me all weekend. Like I'm thinking about it, like when yeah. I'm eating breakfast yeah. the next day and I'm like upset. Um, yeah. so I think it's good. Like you, ref- you learn more from failures than successes, I think. And that's always, um, it's a good thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. You have to take both in stride. Um, you know, what bothers me is I've run into lots of dentists as I've, uh, you know, traveled and lectured and there's some that'll go, well, why would you worry about it? Like you can just redo it in a few years and insurance will cover it. And I just don't like that approach because yeah. I want to build my practice on that. Um, so I, I'm, I'm more like you. 
Yeah, it bothers. Me, but 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 you got to stop beating yourself up because you try. As long as you know you've tried your best and you've been honest with the patients, uh, that's the best you can do. And if it, if they come back and you're, they're finding out for the last the next six months that they're getting all their food stuck between that contact, then you know what? Just redo it for them. Bite the bullet. Don't charge them and have it as a life lesson. For sure. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I think for me, like like you said, I think reputation is is more important to longevity than just trying to maximize income like all the time, like short term. Yeah. I think it's like the doing the right thing will always win out like over the, over the long stretch. So you mentioned uh, after about like 10 years or so, you kind of, uh, you know, stepped out of Winnipeg and started attending some courses and got some good mentorship. Yeah. Mentorship, right. mentorship has been a pretty big theme, like in my, in the podcast that I've done and everyone I speak to, because I think it's a really important thing. And I think uh, sadly with, uh, you know, how dentistry is kind of going today with more corporate, uh, with multiple yeah. practice ownership, it's kind of, you lose that maybe mentorship. Um, a lot of younger guys maybe don't have the right mentorship to, um, to learn and grow confidently. So once you went to these courses, how did that relationship continue? Did you send over cases every so often? Did you have like uh, you know, phone conversations? How did you maintain that mentorship to get the, the most out of it? You're right. Both. Um, you know, the people that, that started becoming mentors of mine, I would, whenever we met, I would sit down and pick their brains about all sorts of things, tell them things that I was having issues with, where it was bonding, where there was sensitivity, uh, my feelings not looking good, or how do I diagnose things, like, you know, when I'm looking at a more complicated case, I'm on the right path. So I would take as much time as they would allow when I'm meeting them. And then I, uh, I also had access to them through phone and through email. Yeah. So I'd be able to phone them and say, hey, you know, I've got this. Now, the good ones will also ask a lot of hard questions, like not just give you an answer, but try and make you think like, okay, well, what do you think the diagnosis here? What do you think the real problem is here? And then did you look at this? Like, so they're not condescending. They're actually trying to make you think yeah. and be more complete. So that's one way nowadays. Uh, and I, and that's what I had. And then I, I kept going back because these people were just, and to this day, they're still very helpful to me. And, and so as you start finding um, courses or organizations that actually want to share rather than just suck everything dry from you, uh, it becomes that much more enjoyable. Uh, nowadays, there are all sorts of study clubs that are available. And some of them are really fantastic and they're almost don't have a lot of conditions to them and others they do have some conditions because sometimes they're based on referrals but uh, it doesn't mean that it can't be good mentorship and camaraderie within those study clubs as well yeah yeah so what do you think uh, if you can just give some general advice to a to a young dentist working now a couple years out um, who wants to kind of expand and I think that's something that I'm sort of learning now because I've got a good associateship where I have some good mentorship finally for the first time where um, I have an older guy who's actually like teaching me like comprehensive dentistry a little bit better um, taking pictures of everything and then we'll go through cases together and you're like what do you think that's awesome why is the wear on this side and not that side or why is this um, the lower so all that comprehensive sort of moving away from single tooth diagnosis to a more overall picture um, right. What's your advice to that? How is the best way to, and I know you mentioned like uh, cont- um, uh, doing courses that right. are like structured yeah. and curriculum yeah. to shift away from like yeah. that single tooth. Okay. Patients come in with a broken cusp. Let's just fix that right. versus why is that happening and, and address right. the overall picture. Now I'm not uh, like, I don't think everyone will agree with me and that's perfectly fine, but I truly believe that if you want to differentiate yourself through all the changes that are going on in corporate dentistry, clinical dentistry, all the way through right now, the only thing that nobody can take away from you is right up here. Yeah. Would you agree with me? 100%. Like if you, if you're thinking and you continue to think nobody can take away that, that part from you. So I, I think in order to differentiate yourself from just the big track practices and the volume practices is to use your diagnostic skills, okay? And so when, when young dentists come to me and they go, hey, I want to be busy and I want to be more productive, well, what course do I take next? Well, look, 
if you go and take a course for composites or composites, I can say with you as a Canadian. <laughs> and yeah. uh, so if you take a, 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 you know, a direct restorative course, or you take a course on how to prep, you know, prep a tooth properly, or you take, let's say, some simple endo courses to learn how to access and clean and shape. I'm not talking about the big complicated ones there. You can probably take those courses over a few days or a weekend and at least learn how to improve some of your basic restorative skills yeah. so that you can implement it right away. But if you're just going to go take a weekend course on implants or a weekend course on ortho or a weekend course on taking out wisdom teeth, I just think that's the wrong way to do it. It's a it's a continual thing, and that add that's a more complicated discipline than all of those. Do you understand what I mean? Yeah, for sure. And so if for so if you want to get a bang for your buck right off the bat, I tell some of the younger dentists, fine. If you want to do that, take a take a simple endo course to learn how to clean and shape and access, and start with small simple endos and then get a really good mentor who's going to help you and refer the other stuff out until you can really do it well learn how to do composites really well learn how to do some basic crown and bridge really well don't dive in and just take a weekend course on veneers and all of a sudden you're cutting people's teeth down but you're not thinking so that's one number two exactly what you hit on you found a mentor right there so i would say if you're going to do anything i would Beyond that, if you want a quick thing, those are the three things. Those are the little, little things. I would learn how to become a really good diagnostician, how to diagnose and treat and plan. Yeah. And the, really the only way you can do that is your way, either having a great mentor who's going to sit with you and force you to take pictures, force you to take photos and x-rays and casts and actually talk to you about the case and ask, why do you think these things failed? How do you think we can create success? Otherwise, the only other way you can do that, in my opinion, is to take a structured curriculum. Yeah. And you're either going to go to grad school or you're going to go to a Koi Center, you're going to go to a Spear Center, you're going to go to a Panky Dawson, something like that. And I don't know what there is in Australia. Yeah, I need to find out because I don't think there right? is like a proper continuum like that. Right. And so if you do that, you're going to learn things because they, they go in a sequence where you're learning how to diagnose, you learn about occlusion, you learn about restorative and biomechanics, you learn about implants, you learn about everything and you piece it together like grad school at your pace. Yeah. Okay. Um, and if you do that, all of a sudden you start using your mind and you're, and you see things that you're not going to see it like six months ago. Because you're going to look and you're going to go, man, I know there's other issues. When you just got out uh, six months out of school, um, you, you look and go like, I don't know. I mean, it's broken. Let's fix it. And you know that all you're thinking about is, am I near the pulp? If I'm not, I'm, do I do it direct or indirect? You're not thinking about why it broke. You're not thinking about what happens 20 years from now when it breaks for the fourth time. You're not thinking about that Absolutely. because it never occurred to you. And you're not asking the why, you're just going, well, the how. And I'm just going to do these two. And if it breaks again and it breaks a third time, then you might ask your senior dentist, like, what the hell happened? Like, I don't know why it keeps breaking. Yeah. Right? And uh, and so that's where I think as soon as you do that, you see things completely different. And everyone has to have that aha moment. But if you can gear yourself towards that and want to do that, uh, I think you're better off. I just absolutely do. And it took me seven years to get to that point. Yeah. And I think you get more enjoyment out of those bigger cases. It was interesting. I was, uh, I was listening to like another, uh, like an investment podcast for, for like physicians mostly. And they're talking yeah. about what's changing in the U S with, uh, with physicians is because of the reimbursement fees are going so much lower, which like, I guess is happening with dentistry as well with uh, insurance and yeah. not so much as in the U S luckily, I think we're a little bit better off still in that sense than dictating our fees. But uh, people are starting, like, you pay for time, like you pay for the, the dentist or the doctor to actually sit for an hour with you and, and take the time to like, yeah. and comprehensively diagnose versus like a 15 minute in and out exam where you can just diagnose, okay, a couple of cavities there, a couple of chipped teeth there, right. and just fix it up. Yeah. You don't get that comprehensive picture. And I think that's going to be no. like the delineating factor. Like eventually some people are, want to invest the money into their health and they're going to pay for something to sit down with yourself who has, you know, years of experience, who's gone through the continuum, who's done all the training to get a comprehensive 
treatment plan for their for their oral health versus going down the road to a corporate chain where it's just okay let's fix that one let's fix that one let's fix that one and then and then right. you're, you're off yeah so i think that's going to be an interesting I, I, change in the profession for the next few years yeah it will and i don't think it's going to be as much as as many people doing that as i i would like to see mm-hmm. but but i truly believe that those are the practices that can negotiate through all those changes and and uh, and find themselves a way to compete with the um, with the corporate dental world. Yeah. I, I I I do believe that that's the way. That's the way to go. Yeah. So in terms of um, the all the CE done, and I know cont- like continuums are going to be the the answer most likely. But what's been the biggest ROI in terms of like the the procedures or concepts that you've learned so far from all the and all the courses you've taken? Oh man, I would say right now there were two big ones. One was uh, University of Minnesota in Buffalo, where I did a post-grad aesthetic program. I mean, it's still going on. I think they're just finished their 21st year. Um, it was a continuum that if you did it all faithfully, you could probably finish in about three to four years. Yeah, um, I did it over a longer period of time, but the first year was about 100 hours. It was over four weekends and and it was it wasn't just aesthetics. They talked about occlusion. They talked about materials. They talked about surgery. They talked about partials. And you had different components. And then the second year was all clinical. And there was four weekends where you do treatment planning. You actually treated patients in the clinic, and you you sat like you if you were in grad school, and all the the fifteen sixteen dentists would sit and share their cases and put up all their records, and you would sit and talk about the cases before you That's went great. in. And so you learn all of that. And then the other ones were all modular where you'd ended up doing, you know, a, a weekend of just learning partial dentures or a weekend of doing implants or a weekend of doing, you know, uh, bio, like just restorative and, and veneers. And, and so I learned that. So that was one that, that all of a sudden just took me to a different level. The next one, uh, not as much the mission and it can, but I don't do any, I don't do a ton of implant surgery, but I learned so much about diagnosing implants. But the yeah. next one was the Coy's Coy center and John, I mean, I, I finished his, his whole continuum like six years ago, five years ago, 2013. I mean, it was by far the best educational experience that I've had outside of uh, dental school. It's yeah. like going to grad school. It's mm-hmm. evidence-based. It's current. And he taught me to be a really great diagnostician and or good diagnostician. I think he's great and um, it's fantastic. And now I'm actually been taking some of uh, spear courses as well now uh, just to get some variety and, and do some other things. So, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, a bang for the buck, definitely one of those two, one of those continues. And I would highly recommend my, uh, I mean, I'm, huge fan of both Kois and Spear. So, yeah. Is yeah. that course that you took uh, with Minnesota and uh, Buffalo, is that still around? Is that still offered? Yes, it is. I don't know for how long because some of the people are starting to wind down and retire. So yeah. it would, I would, if it's still available, I would definitely do it. It's not at the University of Buffalo. I was out of the last graduating class from that one yeah. in, 20, in 2007. Uh, but University of Minnesota has still been going on. In fact, it was last weekend. So mm-hmm. um yeah, not sure, but if it is, it's definitely worth it. it sure. So if you is. can, um, if you don't mind, if you can send me a link to it, if you have some sort of a website or something, um, I'll put it up yeah. in the show notes. If anyone's interested, uh, they can, uh, yeah, search it out and see what they think. Um, that's yeah, great. I think for sure. Um, I, I've, so many people have told me one of the best advice uh, that I got through the podcast was, um, as dental students or as as dentists um, or doctors, any professional really, we're so used to structure in school, like all the way through from like since we're kids and then we have a curriculum and we get through um, like high school and we go through university and then dental school and then we graduate and then you're kind of free. There's no structure to your learning. Um, so like you said, you can take right. a, a wisdom tooth course one weekend uh, and right. of course the other weekend and then you don't know how to tie everything together. So I think um, these programs exactly. that, that offer the, uh, the continuum or the, the module based learning is a, is a great way to actually right. uh, make sure you have a structure in place and follow through on something and, and learn it. Uh, properly. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's not inexpensive, but trust me, if you go to the right places, it's a journey. And I always use that term. It's a journey. If you want to take yourself from here to here, you need that, and uh, and it will differentiate. It's interesting because I run I run, I run a Seattle study club with, a, with some friends of mine here. Yeah, we've been running the study club for like fifteen years. Oh, nice. And uh, and it's uh, and 
I mean, the Seattle Study Club, in my opinion, is one of the best networks in the world. There are five of them. There's one in, uh, there's a study club right in Melbourne. Oh, really? What's that? Uh, which I, I actually, I, um, I don't know. Well, the person that used to run it, I forgot the new person that's, oh, it's Alex Yusupov. He's an orthodontist. Okay. I'll look it up. Uh, it, it was run, it was run by Ray Staby and uh, Mark Petty. Yeah. And Ray retired recently. And Alex is the orthodontist in Melbourne. And he runs the study club now. And I mean, that network is one of the best networks in the world. Uh, there's five study clubs in Australia. There's about 260 study clubs around the world. The majority of them are in North America and in the US. And then there's some now in Europe and even in India and China. That's amazing. Um, yeah. but, but the way the club runs is that you have, typically it's a specialist. I'm one of the rare GPs that's kind of directs it, but there's, there's a kind of an advisory board of specialists and restorative docs. And then you'll have your other dentists and you learn about diagnosing and treatment planning in an interdisciplinary fashion. So it's not a club about endo or implants or, you know, veneers. It's looking at everything. Yeah. And so you meet about nine, 10 times a year and you treatment plan. When you treatment plan, you put cases up with all the records and you, you do all of that kind of stuff. That's great. Yeah, so, I'll definitely look into that. Yeah. It'd be great to uh, get involved with that. Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. So um, next thing I want to kind of touch on with you was, I know you do a lot of lecturing and a lot of um, teaching. Uh, take, talk to me a little bit about that journey because that's something I know uh, for me personally, I know I don't have much to, to uh, teach yet, but I think as I get more experience right. and as I kind of establish like what my kind of area will be, um, that's something that I would love to do because I right. really enjoy the teaching aspect of it. Um, so then just talk to me a little bit about that. Right. Like how that's progressed in your career. That'd be great. Um, so what happened was I got, I mean, I've been lecturing for probably about 15 years and um, I don't know. I got started. I, uh, I don't know how I got started. I just, uh, I, I did a local program and then, um, and then I, I had a couple, there's a dentist in, uh, in Montreal, uh, Elliot mechanic. He's a Canadian, uh, educator and really good dentist and he kind of got me into a programs at at some conferences at the pacific dental and a few others and yeah. next thing you know i just started that helped and then i got a i started working with some dental companies as well just evaluating products and next thing you know i'm doing some stuff with them yeah so that's kind of how it got started there are a few larger meetings like pacific dental conference in vancouver and uh, the California Dental Association, Chicago Midwinter, some of the Texas meetings where they actually have a new speaker series now where if you're yeah. interested, um, you can actually put it in an abstract to do an, like a 50-minute or one-hour talk. And if you oh, get nice. selected, yeah. you can do that. And then, then what happens in some of those meetings, a lot of those major meetings, they'll have scouts like literally meeting scouts and they'll yeah. be from different cities and different meetings from provinces and cities. And they'll come and they'll go, Hey, I saw you at such and such. And you know, I, or I listened to a few minutes of your lecture and you really sounded good. Um, would you be interested in coming and speaking at our meeting and that sort of thing? That's great. So yeah. a lot of that started that way and putting in time and, and now it's just snowballed to the point where I'm just doing a, a lot and, and it's, it's been, it's been fun. It's yeah. been very busy though. And now I speak a lot to a lot of study clubs, which I love because they're really high caliber. Uh, a lot of like a lot of specialists and uh, dentists who are just really driven to, to ex- excel. And so it challenges me because I have to have a lot of not just anecdotal information. I've got to have evidence and literature to support what I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, which is nice because it keeps my dentistry and my skill level higher. For sure. Then what's your, uh, what's your area of uh, interest in your lectures that you. Well, for the longest time, it was like everyday restorative. And I still do a fair amount of that where I'm talking about bonding adhesion, um, material selection, you know, preps and how to, how to, you know, pick the right ceramics to, to, you know, have a, have good success um and and even implant restorative so i, I focused a lot on that yeah. over the last couple of years i've been asked a lot like more and more now to talk about digital dentistry and digital workflow and how do you bring that into practice how do you incorporate it how do you utilize it um 
how do you train your staff so that you can implement, excuse me, implement it and have it successful? So those are the two big things that I do a lot of lecturing on. Great. And then the third is treatment planning where I'll do, you know, we'll we'll have some case, we'll have some study clubs where I'll talk a little bit about restorative and then we'll throw a bunch of cases up and we'll actually sit as a group and we'll diagnose and treatment plan and tear them apart. Yeah. And um, so you touched about, uh, you talked about uh, technology in in the office. What are you using mostly right now in terms of uh, your workflow and how's it impacted like the way you're uh, doing Uh, dentistry? Oh man, I'm, I've been digital for about nine years, over nine years. So I've used all sorts of different scanners, but we probably are at least 80, 85% digital. And so uh, that's, that's what I do. So we, we, I've, I've also done chair side. I've kind of moved away from that. Just doesn't fit in my workflow anymore, but I, I, had an opportunity to beta test a bunch of scanners and mills and printers. But right now I, we scan almost everything. Um, I have a model printer that I use to, to make diagnostic models and, and, um, you know, do some smile design stuff and things like that too. So it's, it's a lot of fun. I think my, my, my assistants and my staff, my, actually my entire team scans. So we scan every new patient, we scan every existing patient comprehensive exams. So it's part of their patient record. So we can communicate with the patients. We can show them all sorts of things. You just can't show any other way because it's 3D. Yeah, that's great. I think it comes through. I think uh, following your Instagram page, uh, you've been doing it for like 20 20 some odd years and you're still having fun at the office. And I think that's, it's pretty admirable. I think it's what most, most of us are hoping hoping we'll be like in, you know, 20 some odd years and, and we're still having fun oh, at work so. and, and we're not bored of things. So, uh, it's nice that no, you're I, open to innovation and new technologies and, and just. Oh, yeah. Things. And I've, I've always been, I feel like I've, I've tried to be on the leading edge of that. Cause I really enjoy it. Yeah. The Instagram and all that stuff that's changed because <laughs> it was, uh, guys like, um, um, well, my daughter, Serena, yeah. who's a dentist and, um, a Brian Bali was yeah. and a few I had others. Him on the like, here's the ones that have been. I know, and he's been great. I've known him for a while now because he actually, when my daughter went before she got into UOP, she did a tour of the school, and he was the one that gave a tour oh, and nice. walked her yeah. through everything. And both of us, and so we connected that way. So we've known each other a while, and I, guys like him and yourself that have actually literally inspired me to change some of the ways that I, that I interact with my patients. Um, it's because of you guys, literally, I'm no word of a lie. I'm not blowing smoke. Cause I never, I mean, I'm, I'm in my, I'm in my early fifties. Like, why would I be doing this stuff? And yeah. people look at me and they're going like, why are you doing that? And it's like, you know what? I realize now that I need to be able to connect to some of that, this audience, a younger yeah. group, because they're part of my practice or I want some of them to be part of my practice and you're going to connect in a different way. You're not going to pick up, you're not going to Google. Yeah. It's just not something you do. You just go directly to Twitter or, or Instagram or something. Right. Yeah, we're not going to we're not gonna pick up a mailer and <laughs> call the flyer no, number on there. <laughs> yeah. No, you're not. I even asked my daughter, I go, well, will you Google something? And she goes, no, if it's on Instagram, I want to click it right away. Otherwise I move on. Yeah. I'm like, what? <laughs> like I'll, I'll at least look at Google on my phone. Yeah. You will use it for last resort. Yeah. Right. But that won't be your first choice. I think, um, yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm reading these uh, books by, it's like, uh, Cialdini's like principles of persuasion. And yes. It's like the, uh, yes, the group, exactly. group mentality, right? Like if I go on Instagram, like a, yeah. like a barber is a good example. Like we moved to a new area when I moved to Australia and I was like looking for a barbershop. Right. Um, yeah. And it's one thing to like look at Google reviews, but I went on Instagram and I searched barber in my local area and I see yeah. the pictures and people there. I'm like, okay, this right. one seems busy. Like, uh, and that's how yeah. I picked it. So I think it's uh, definitely right. a way of the future. Well, awesome. I got to tell you, I found my new lab technician in Toronto that way. Yeah. Oh, they're, yeah. I'm, cool looking, guys sure. I'm looking and all of a sudden I see the work and I, of a couple of dentists and I start looking at the lab work and it's like, oh my God. Mm-hmm. And I just called them through, yeah. through social media. That's and great. man, we have a great, great working relationship, but he does amazing work. Really. Yeah. Well, how about, it's funny. Yeah. One of the nurses yeah. I work with, um, she's a, she's a university student doing marketing. And last week I was like, Oh, do you guys learn much about like social media marketing and stuff? She's like, 
what other marketing is there? <laughs> the university teaching has changed as well. So I know it's so funny. <laughs> yeah. So the the last thing I want to kind of touch on before we just jump into the quick uh, kind of like rapid fire thing I do to wrap up the episode okay. is um, obviously you mentioned your okay. daughter's a, a newly graduate dentist. Uh, I think she's in Chicago. You said right? She's working. She isn't. You know what? She just got into the Perio last oh, okay. week. Oh no! Way. Yeah, That's great. So she, awesome. Yeah. So Where is that going to be? Well, it's either going to be Boston or Rutgers, which is in New Jersey. And, yeah. uh, you know, she's leaning, she's leaning towards New Jersey. Awesome. So she's going to be a... So she'll she'll figure it out later this week, but she yeah. just found it. That's amazing. And I tell you, I was so excited because I was, I, was at a, I was at a meeting and, and I got a text and she says, I got in. And so I, I actually, I was sitting next to my friend and I actually teared up. Oh, that's amazing. And he's like, are you okay? And I go, she just got into grad school. And I walked out, I called her. She's like, you're crying. And I go, yeah, I am. I said, this is pretty exciting. Yeah, that's great. So yeah. Yeah. So yeah. what I was going to ask is, uh, so now, I mean, now she's specializing. So I guess that would be an advice you probably gave her. Um, so <laughs> I just want to see like, just the, the, obviously having that she has you as a, as a resource and a mentor, which is fantastic. Right. right. What advice yeah. did you give her when she graduated? And if you can just pass that on to the listeners, um, just, okay. I know there's, there's a lot of things we've already touched on a little bit, but yep. um, I know specifically just like what so, advice you passed on to her would be great if so we can I, hear that as well. I, I just said, Hey, listen, where, wherever you're working, um, try and absorb as much as you can from some of the experienced dentists. Uh, you know, take the time to ask a lot of questions and and sh- and take a lot of pictures. She's not doing as much as I'd like her to do. I yeah. feel it's very important to take pictures. You're going to be your biggest critic. You should be your biggest critic, correct? Yeah. I mean, you shouldn't wait for me to look at your work. You should look at your work and go like, man, that's good. Or I got to do better. Yeah. So take lots of pictures. Number two, start taking some courses. So she took already in her last year of dental school, she went and took occlusion at the Koi Center. She's already done treatment planning and occlusion at Spear already. She's gone and taken a, a soft tissue grafting course from one of the top periodontists in the world, Pat Allen in Dallas. Yeah. She's done those things. And so she's learned, but all of them have one common theme. They teach you how to diagnose a problem. So yeah. she started doing that. So I said, look, take some of those courses and make sure that you take lots of pictures of your work to critique it and make sure that you have the right mentor in your practice. Yeah, Those are the things I told her. The other thing that we're starting to do is trying to find her mentors that are slightly around her age. And there are some sharp young male and female clinicians, not all specialists. Some of them are, but that that you can really go to. So you can relate to them. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. I think that's um, great advice. Right. So that they're not all 70 year old and, <laughs> you know, 60 year old people. There's nothing wrong with that, but you need a few that can, you can relate to as well that are five to seven years ahead of you. Yeah. And I think it might be even. Because they can relate to, to the fact that, hey, you're building a family, you're doing this, you're doing that, and yeah. give you some advice that way as well. Yeah. And there might be a yeah. bit of a more of a comfort uh, in just interacting with someone who's like similar in age and, and, uh, like sure. you, you might not, it might be harder to relate with like a guy. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Perfect. That, thank you so much. It's been a great, uh, there's a lot of points that I wanted to touch on and we went through I'm all starting. of that, which is great. So I like to uh, wrap these things up with a bit of a rapid fire, uh, just to line things yeah. up. So what's the, uh, the first question is, uh, what's your uh, favorite pizza topping? Oh, mushroom. Mushroom. Okay. I love mushroom, man. Yeah. 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 And uh, what's your I can uh, have balls. yeah? What's your favorite tooth to work on? Oh, favorite tooth. Oh man, I, I would say central. I mean, if yeah. you can make it look great, patients <laughs> yeah. are going to be happy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. And uh, what's the one procedure you love doing? I really love to do. Um, a smile makeover, like just, you know, just getting the patient, whether it's direct or indirect, especially indirect, you know, just the right preps, getting the right ceramics and mm-hmm. um, yeah. And then just giving the patient that smile again and, and that confidence again, that, that just charges me up when they just tear up and they're, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I love that. 
And uh, what's the one procedure that makes you question why you're doing dentistry? Oh, root canals. I just, it just makes me cringe. I just, uh, yeah. yeah, it gives me anxiety. I just don't enjoy it at all. Yeah. A couple of my best friends are, one of my best friends is an endodontist and we laugh about it all the time. But I just, you know, no, if I can do an opening to get someone out of pain, like I'm super excited because I just don't enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I'm getting there too. I think I'm too early in the game to completely give up, uh, give it up. But uh, every time I'm like mid midway through, I'm like, why am I doing this? Like it's just so inefficient. Yeah. Uh, I got you. I and got you. Uh, finally, uh, what is your favorite Instagram account to follow? Oh, it still has to be uh, Bali West, like yeah. SF Down. Or I don't know. There's just what I, and, and he's really ramped it up even more in the last few months. But uh, uh, what I like about it is that he makes, he, he's accountable for good quality work. And I know that he does that. Uh, he makes people accountable, but he also finds humor in everything. Yeah. And, um, and so he, he creates that, that levity that we need in our, um, in, in dentistry. Yeah. He's got a great balance of both of those. He's, so. he's pretty uh, prolific. Like he posts a lot. He just like a, creates so much content. It's, uh, it's hard to imagine he how does. he finds the time to actually do all that. Uh, I'm struggling with yeah. that. <laughs> No, no, absolutely. Hey, so am I. Tell me about it. And, uh, but no, I think that's one of the more enjoyable ones. Um, it's just really good. There's lots of great, uh, restorative ones and surgical ones as well, but that's the one I look forward to when something comes up, it's like, okay. And you have a little laugh and, and you move on. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. No, it's great. Uh, we kept you for an hour. I know you're a busy guy. And so later. No, it was a pleasure. What's your, uh, what's your prospects for the, for the jets this year? Do you think that much chance against the, I got to tell you, man. (laughs) Oh man. Are you, that's all the fighting words. We're off to a good start. I, (laughs) I, I just, uh, honestly, it doesn't matter what division you're in. Like I think right now, I mean, Arguably, the central division is the hardest one. I think it, with the, as long as the Jets can, uh, you know, you know, compete well like last year and get in the playoffs, I'm not worried whether they finish first or seventh or whatever. But um, you know, we're going to be competitive. But there's a lot of great teams. Um, I just it's we're way overdue to have a Canadian team um, win a Stanley Cup. Uh, that'd be and, unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, and I would love it to be the Jets, but we need a Canadian team. <laughs> I can't. I can't imagine what happens in Toronto if we lose in the finals. <laughs> I'm already. Oh, I know. Senior Toronto fan. I'm already like, oh man, we're gonna lose in the finals. It's gonna be heartbreaking. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Right now, listen, they uh, they've got a great team, and they're gonna be tough. They're gonna be a tough team, and you just never know. You never know when. If you're coming into Canada the next time, you or if you're coming over the winter, let me know because you're welcome to come and we have, you know, my buddy and I have season tickets. You're welcome to come to and enjoy a Jets game. Yeah, that'd be great. I, I, I came to Winnipeg once, uh, I think it was like last year, a year and a half ago. So it was a cool city. Um, yeah, it's a nice yeah. and small, so you can kind of get around everywhere and, uh, you can, yeah, you it's, can, it's a bit cold, but maybe in the summertime it'll be nice. Yeah. Oh, summertime <laughs> is super hot in the winter. Yeah, I've gone, uh, I've gone a bit soft, uh, living in Australia now, so I can't handle it. Oh, I don't blame you. I've been to Melbourne. It's a beautiful city. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I really, really love it. Yeah. So, yeah. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thanks again for uh, coming on. Uh, hopefully, we'll uh, we'll chat again in the future. We'll do another follow up episode in a little bit. Yeah. No, it'll and, be great. Uh, I really enjoy what you're doing.